0: Today on Act News Daily. Mm-hmm. No, I, and I think that's
1: a very valid point. And what what is being developed right now? And I've had similar
0: discussions with Robert Lighthizer, Bob Lighthizer, about that. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, joining you today from bright and sunny Amarillo, Texas. This is Delaney Howell, joined as ever by my co-host Mike Pearson.
2: Good afternoon, Delaney. How are things down in Texas?
0: They're very good. Amarillo is gorgeous out today, a little breezy, but I'll take it. The sun is shining, and I was uh, just wrapped up some speeches and discussions here with some folks at Ag Texas Farm Credit.
2: Interesting. So what's the story down in Texas? What are they hearing? What's the state of agriculture there in the Lone Star State?
0: Well, that's what they asked me to speak about, was agricultural economy as a whole across the U.S., but it sounds like Down here in Texas, they're facing some of the same issues that we face in the Midwest. This was interesting enough. I had a gentleman come up to me and he said, you know, you talked about with the trade disputes, the mainstream agricultural industries being hit like soybeans and pork and corn and all that stuff. But he said, I grow pecans and our industry has Mm -hmm. also been extremely affected by the Chinese trade war issues.
2: Absolutely. I think pecans were one of the first... Products mm-hmm. hit with a tariff, uh, a yeah. retaliatory tariff from China. They yeah. are in that first round.
0: Yep. So just interesting to see, you know, we always think, well, and, and when I speak to groups, I always think of the traditional commodities we grow in the Midwest, but down here in Texas they grow a bunch of other states and a bunch of other things. This is a big dairy sector for Texas, this northwest mm-hmm. corner. So just really interesting to hear what's going on in their neck of the woods.
2: Fascinating. You know, that is that is down there in Texas. And you know what they're not doing in Texas, Delaney? What? Banning processed meats. Mm. That's not something I think we're ever going to hear outside of at least Austin, Texas, down there in the south.
0: I think you're probably right.
2: But you know where they are doing that? Or at least uh, uh, they're not quite banning processed meats, but okay. they are certainly making moves to do that.
0: Like hot dogs and bacon and stuff? Yes, like no. hot dogs. Well, I don't care New about hot dogs. York but City.
2: New York City is the first city in the U.S. to eliminate processed meat. Their mayor, Bill de Blasio, approved a $14 billion Green New Deal on Monday. And the whole point is this is going to fight climate change. Mm-hmm. And uh, part of that is the city is going to cut purchases of red meat by 50% in city-controlled facilities. So we're thinking jails, hospitals, schools. They went meatless Monday back mm-hmm. in 2017. Now they're expanding upon that. And uh, basically that includes hot dogs is one of the targeted foodstuffs there in New York. And I tell you what. I don't care for crowds anyway. I don't think I'd be very happy living in the, the Big Apple. <laughs> but this makes it really unappealing.
0: That is so bizarre. So one of the other presenters today um, who works with the lobbyists for Farm Credit Services was talking about the Green New Deal and the tax implications it had or could have on just the normal consumer. It was like $50,000 annually.
2: for For just Joe and Jane shopper?
0: Yes, for the Green New Deal, if we were to implement it to its fullest extent.
2: Man. I know. Well, I don't think that's going to happen. Of course, no, it would have to, go to Congress, so. and so far, even the Dems haven't voted for it, so right. it doesn't sound like Green New Deal is going to be an issue we're probably ever going to deal with, but I think some of the things in it we are going to see get passed into law, at, at least by localities and municipalities mm. like we're seeing in New York.
0: That's crazy.
2: Yes. I've got another piece of crazy news coming up. I guess it's government-related. Do you remember, Delaney, the story of the Hammond Ranch? These were the folks over in eastern Oregon who several years ago were thrown into jail for starting fires on a BLM property. Do you remember that? No, I don't. Okay. Well, they were tried as terrorists. They were uh, sentenced to three months for one of them and a year in jail for the, the father. They served their time. And uh, then the government went back and said, no, you guys have to go to five years in jail because you're terrorists. And they threw them back into jail. And that started the occupation of Malpur Wildlife Refuge up there. The, there. was a It was a big deal back in 2017, I believe. Their whole crime was allegedly starting fires on government ground. Their grazing permits were revoked and they were sent to jail. Well, on Monday their grazing permits were reinstated because the ranch land they used to graze hasn't been grazed in five years since they've been in jail, and now it's a fire hazard. Huh? How is that for irony? <laughs>
0: yeah, no kidding. That's for yeah.
2: sure. So because it's a fire hazard, these two men accused of setting fire to it now get to graze their animals again. So it's a, a, hmm. a good Good piece of news for the Hammond Ranch. It's just one of those things it's that full makes you scratch your head.
0: Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Well, since we're talking about some meat-related news, this story actually I think is very timely because I talked to a gentleman here, and I'm going to shoot him an email here over the next couple of days and try to get him on the podcast, but he and his family run a custom feedlot, and they do some of their own feeding as well, but they essentially do natural feeding as one of their facets amongst traditional and non-hormone and et cetera, et cetera. But Walmart is creating Angus beef, their own Angus beef supply chain to cut out middlemen and meat processors. And one of their farms that they're using is 44 farms, which this gentleman down here in Texas, they supply cattle to that farm. So, It's really interesting. I think they're going to do no hormones, black Angus beef. And, you know, I, I think it's crazy as you look at Costco doing it with poultry, you're looking at Walmart now doing it with beef, how we are becoming more and more consolidated as an industry.
2: Absolutely. We've already seen Walmart make this move in the dairy sector, mm-hmm. and uh, now they're following it up. Now, you said Black Angus. Delaney, does that story say anything about whether or not it will be CAB, Certified Angus Beef, the uh, the name brand That's program? A good
0: question. Or, I don't okay. see anything we don't in know. there, no.
2: Okay. All right. Well, that will be something to keep an eye on, and uh, – You know, anything that can get high-quality beef into the mouths of consumers, I think, is a win for the industry overall. But you're right. Consolidation, more vertical integration is happening. The industry continues to change. Yes,
0: it does continue to change. Another issue that a lot of folks have been watching in agriculture is what's going on with Monsanto and the Roundup Ready case. Well, Monsanto of, court, Monsanto, of course, appealed that recent verdict happening in California with Dwayne Johnson, the school groundskeeper, who was awarded 78 and a half million dollars. Monsanto has now officially appealed that case, which I think comes as no surprise to anyone. Um, and the reason for their appeal is because they stated that the Superior Court judge, Suzanne, I think it's Belenos, maybe is how you pronounce her name, allowed the other side to present evidence that glyphosate did cause cancer, but they did not allow Roundup or they did not allow Monsanto to present their scientific evidence that glyphosate is not a carcinogen. So we'll see what comes of that here, but another step in their legal battles.
2: Yeah, legal battles will be ongoing. You know, this issue is not one that's going to go away anytime soon.
0: Mm-mm, not at all.
2: Speaking of things not going away anytime soon, Delaney, fertilizer shortages across mm-hmm. the upper Midwest continue to uh, to frustrate farmers. You know, we talked uh, last week about the challenges in getting a hold of NH3 or anhydrous ammonia. And this week, Reuters is, uh, has a huge report mm. on the delay of fertilizer coming up the Mississippi. Um, they talk about how CHS has dozens of barges trapped near St. Louis. They can't get up river to, uh, to their hubs up there in Minnesota. And, you know, there's that dry fertilizer, but it is also not getting applied. It is not happening. And in this Reuters report, they talk about something we've talked about quite a little bit here on the podcast. And what we talked about on Monday, are we going to see an acre shift, um, mm-hmm. uh, the few farmers they spoke to in the article, including Don Beatty, who is another uh, great farmer Twitter to follow, he said his plan is to continue planting corn because beans prices uh, sucks. Right. And uh, but but we're certainly dealing with a situation where that planning window is getting shorter and shorter and inputs just aren't there. They're- They're just not coming in time for a lot of guys to put their true crop nutrition plan in place. And as I talk right now, Delaney, here in Grinnell, I'm looking out my window, and we've got another thunderstorm Mm -hmm. approaching. So this is going to be a real tough spring, and I've got to imagine, by the end of it, we will see some acres go to beans.
0: Well, not only that, Mike, but we also might start seeing here as early as, 2019 in some states and definitely in 2020 some of those acres especially if we have low commodity prices shifting to a new commodity which is hemp. Hmm. Iowa has now been the 43rd state to officially sign the legalization of hemp production at a state level or a production level not just research into effect. We saw the house the Iowa house voted in favor of the bill on Tuesday after the senate Cleared it last week, so now Governor Reynolds is expected to sign the legislation. There are only six states left in the entire U.S. that do not have updated hemp laws since the passage of it in the 2018 Farm Bill. Those include Idaho, Louisiana, Mississippi, Ohio, South Dakota, and Texas. So I think it's a very real possibility if the, you know, legal and regulation stuff gets sorted out that we see hemp come to production in 2020
2: fascinating. It's going to be interesting to watch. It'll be weird, I think, the first time I'm driving down the road and I see a field of <laughs> hemp, because right. that's like 12 or 18 feet tall. Oh, really? Oh, it's gigantic. Huh. Have you seen the harvesters they run on those fields?
0: No, but I'm excited to see it now.
2: Yes, they're super weird. It basically looks like you've got a grain table mounted uh 10 feet up in the sky hmm. to gather the seed head, and then you've got a sickle bar down at the bottom to cut the stock. They're weird, weird-looking machines.
0: Well, that is very interesting.
2: Yes. So, folks, stay tuned. And, uh, you know, folks, let's just make sure we're planting hemp and (laughs) not its uh, more fun cousin.
0: (laughs) Oh, geez.
2: Well, I've got a a story here that is about the lawsuit I reported on yesterday, uh, Arcaf's legal suit against the big four packers. Uh, Their firm that filed the suit is Scott and Scott, attorney at law, and uh, they issued a statement. Just to kind of help explain to people what it is they are alleging the big four packers to have done. And I just wanted to run through it because I know this is getting quite a bit of press. A lot of folks in the cattle industry are talking about this suit uh, one way or another. It's just going to be an interesting legal challenge. But here's what they allege the big four packers did. They say that they, quote, collectively reduced their slaughter volumes and purchases of cattle sold in the cash mm-hmm. market in order to create a glut of slaughter weight cattle. They manipulated the cash trade to reduce price competition amongst themselves, enforcing an antiquated queuing convention and using threats of boycott and uh, basically conducting all of their cash market purchases during that 30-minute window on Friday. I know that's frustrating for a lot of people. They were transporting cattle over uneconomically long Distances, including from Canada and Mexico in order to depress U.S. fed cattle prices and deliberately closing slaughter plants to ensure underutilization of available U.S. beef packing capacity. So for folks that don't want to read the 109-page lawsuit, those are the major allegations that will be levied in this case.
0: I'm curious to see, too, what that does for the cattle industry, if it has any market impact or not.
2: Well... Yeah. Cattle were a uh, limit down today. Briefly. They did bounce yeah. off of it at the close, but I don't think that's lawsuit related. No,
0: I don't think so either.
2: So we will continue to follow this story. We'll see if this suit actually makes its way into court.
0: All right. right, I'm I, I would be willing to bet that they do some sort of settlement out of court, but that's just my speculation.
2: Well, I mean, I, I don't even know if there will be a settlement. You know, the okay. judge has well, to uphold the validity of the lawsuit right. before it can move forward. So we right. haven't even gotten to that stage yet.
0: Yep, that's true. We're still way ahead in that game. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, Mike, the only other piece of news I have, or a couple of quick snippets here, is just trade-related. Of course, we've got uh, Jap- Japanese trade officials coming to the U.S. tomorrow. We uh, saw official confirmation that we're going to get another round of trade talks for U.S.-Chinese in april and april here april 30th just five days away actually and then another round in may on the 8th and one other market that maybe isn't a huge market for us right now but one that you know has some potential in the future is the taiwanese market uh, ken isley who is the foreign agricultural service administrator is spending a lot of his time this week in taiwan promoting u.s agricultural products Because they really want to get more pork into the country. Currently, they do not allow ractopamine or pigs produced with that drug uh, into the country. And so he said in a statement to reporters that that was a big part of their discussion was ractopamine and didn't get a comment or a commitment either way from the country to lift that ban, but working hard and diligently to open up a new market, hopefully, for us.
2: Fascinating. I'm impressed that Racto's on the table there with Taiwan. Uh, You know, half of all U.S. hogs are fed Ractopamine, Mm -hmm. otherwise known as the the brand name of paline. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, they have long been excluded from most Asian markets. So that would be very fascinating if uh, if they decide to lift that ban. It would be. Well, Delaney, I have just one other piece of news, and this is for you and for all of our other unmarried female listeners oh, who great. might eventually be hoping for a ring on their finger. Okay. There was a diamond discovered over in Africa. It was in Botswana. And how big, do you want to guess it is, the second largest hmm. diamond ever discovered in history?
0: We're talking carrots here?
2: Yes, we're talking carrots. How many uh, carrots? 10, 20, 80?
0: A hundred. I've got no
2: idea. A hundred carats. It is 1,758 carats. It's roughly, it's larger than a tennis ball and weighs close to a pound.
0: I don't think that anybody could have that on their finger.
2: Well, I think a lot of people would like to try. So the company that discovered it is uh, Lucara, and uh, their stock was way up on the news today that this diamond was huh. discovered in Botswana. I figured before we get into the markets, it uh, it might be good to look at what other sector that uh, saw prices <laughs> rise today.
0: Okay. Maybe not commodities then? Ag commodities is what
2: you're hinting at? Well, not cattle. Okay. Uh, cattle yeah. were, the, uh, were the bearer of bad news and lean hogs today. The protein markets on the whole were down. Grains, however, have some green. Delaney, what do you say? Should we jump in and see what all happened today in the
0: markets? Let's do it.
2: All right, folks, and our marks are brought to us by our friends at the Zaner Group. Remember – Times are tough. Marketing can make or break a person this year. Give our friends Zayner a shout to put a marketing plan in place. You can reach them at 312-277-0050 or you can visit them on the web at zaner.com and tell them you heard it on Ag News Daily. Uh, slight gains in the corn market today. The July contract was up one and a quarter, 357 and a quarter. December new crop also up one and a quarter to close at 377 and a quarter. In soybeans, we have finally stopped the downtrend. The July contract was up four cents. At 872 and three quarters, November new crop up three and three quarters to finish at 893 and a quarter. Chicago wheat also saw a bounce. The July contract up three cents on the day at 441 and a half, December up three and a quarter to close at 466 even. Jumping over to the world of livestock, as I mentioned, we were limit down in some cattle contracts earlier in the day. We did bounce off them slightly. For the close, June contract live cattle down $2.975 at 115.3750. The August down $2.90, finishing at 112.925. Similar story in feeder cattle. The August contract was down $3.475 at 153.25. The September down $3.55, finished the day at 154.325. In lean hogs, they were not able to bounce off limit down with the June contract locked. Limit down at the close, down three dollars at eighty nine seventy seven and a half. The July contract also limit down at ninety four sixty five. Let's take a look at the dairy market and see what happened there in Class Three milk. The April contract was up a nickel at fifteen ninety six, and the May big move today, forty five cents higher. Closed at 1629. Now, for our regular interview today, we're going to finish up that roundtable discussion that was had yesterday with Senator Ernst. Yesterday's edition, she talked quite a bit about the USMCA and the outlook for that going forward into this legislative session. This time today, we're going to hear the rest of that conversation. And it does talk quite a little bit about the impact of tariffs and trade war shenanigans on businesses throughout Iowa. So do stay tuned. Here it is.
3: I'd like to jump in on behalf of Kinsey. <coughs> John mentioned before, he's been here for 54 years. He's had a partnership with the American Farmer as a manufacturer and as a farmer himself. And really, from Kinsey's perspective, we, we really see ourselves as, as seeing two effects from this whole situation. One is, of course, our customer is ultimately the American Farmer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you heard it from this gentleman over there. If they're insecure, they're not in the dealerships. If they're not in the dealerships, we're not selling the product. And so that, end, that affects our ability to sell a product. At the same time, the Section 232 tariffs touch any product out in our beautiful uh, arena. It's all steel, and, and steel is uh, steel is, our, is, a, is, the, is the blood that flows to this factory. We've seen an unprecedented <clears throat> increase in the, in the commodity price of steel, and if, it were, if we were able to go back and six years ago, when the economy, the ag economy was booming. His decision to pass along those costs um, to the to the end user, maybe that was agreeable and amenable. But today we can't pass those costs on. So that that Section 232 is taking a bite out of our ability to um, uh, be profitable as a business. It's taking a bite out of our ability to reward our employees. It's taking a bite out of our ability to develop new innovative products. We have to make hard decisions in this business because that money simply isn't there. It's gone to increase commodity costs and so you know really from uh, I think the face of it is, is that uh, it, it's it's all well and good to hear sound bites on national TV about uh, sticking into the Chinese or this is a tax on the Chinese and all that other stuff the bottom line is we're paying the price and I think that Donald Trump and, and our political friends all need to understand that this impacts Kenzie in two ways and everybody at this table in an individual manner I think that's critical that's what we want. To, we would like you to take back to
1: Washington. You bet. Thank you. Thank you,
3: Richard. I'll second what Richard said. Senator. You, you and your
4: staff been such a, have done such a great job of keeping in touch with us and so many people about this. We're grateful for your leadership, but certainly here at Kinsey, Succa, Hawkeye Steel, any of these field, mm. these companies that use a lot of steel, it's a killer, and I can't pass it on, as Richard has said. And so we're grateful for your leadership in trying to get this done and... As everybody here knows, you have been a leader, but we're really we're all eager and anxious Mm -hmm. to get it done.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And and cost to you're right, uh, cost to end the end user. It all gets passed on, or the employers, manufacturers are taking a huge hit. Um, So you know we've recognized that, and we've shared some stories, and that's why taking back some of the the issues that we have here. It's really important.
3: And I would add, mm-hmm. will Mexico and Canada ratify the new USMCA if the 232 tariffs are still
1: in place? Mm-hmm. That's a really good question. I, I think they would be very hesitant to do that. So I think going back to what the President had mentioned a number of months ago, that, you know, if there's a deal in place and we we do essentially have the USMCA yeah. done, mm-hmm. um, then those those tariffs need to be lifted.
3: And it also goes to the point that I traveled this year in, in Europe, in mm-hmm. South America, and in Africa. And the question is being asked mm-hmm. is the United States and our United States companies reliable trading partners
1: mm-hmm.
3: because of the tariff force?
1: Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Other thoughts? Question? Yes.
3: Okay, Bob's trying to grow on this. Mm-hmm. And I've been in China, I've mm-hmm. been in Russia, South America, Ukraine.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: I see some of the competitiveness of the nature. Oh, yeah. So Chinese are notorious copiers not adhering to IP. Mm-hmm. So how much of the dispute then centers over that?
1: Uh, much of it, yes, absolutely. And I think that's where so many of the hang-ups are, are right now is... Uh, even if we have an agreement, then how do we enforce that with China? Because they are notorious about um, about theft of intellectual property and so forth. So how, how do we enforce that? What is the mechanism moving forward? Um, See, in too. It, it is. It's very much so. They are in it for the the long game and. Uh, Yes, and I think that's why it has taken even this long to actually come to an agreement. And then the last little nitty-gritty will be over, okay, well, if China is caught stealing IP or technology, force forced transfer of technology, then, you know, what mechanism do we have as the United States to push back against them? So that's... Letting the trade rep and, and those folks work that out. But that is the sticking point. Okay, and I've got one mm-hmm. more point. It's
3: too explosive to bring mm-hmm. out here, but I need to get some information to you.
1: Okay. Yeah, you bet.
3: What uh, I attended the 2014 Sustainable Ag Food Security Conference
5: held in Beijing.
1: Okay.
3: The top seven generals in the Chinese Army were in front of the
1: audience. Mm-hmm.
3: And we worked with the FEMA director mm-hmm. over there. Mm-hmm. So
1: but I've got yeah. to you. Good. Thank you. Appreciate that.
5: I'll go next. Um, We're in a sort of unique position. We supply people who then convert it to a finished product that they sell. We supply a lot of different markets. So I get to see people who are participating in automotive or graphics or stationery or furniture, lots of different customers. So I can give you three different examples that we see how we're being impacted and our customers are being impacted. Uh, The first would be in a commodity product that we actually gain business. As soon as the tariffs go away, we're going to lose it Mm -hmm. because it moved to China for a reason. Mm -hmm. Uh, But Three of our customers gained business, which then came to us. Two of those customers are actually in Mexico. So we had a short-term gain, right? But Mm -hmm. you can't count on it. You don't go out and hire people because as soon as this tariff (coughs) goes away, which hopefully is soon, that business is going to drift away. A second example would be tied to steel. We have a customer who laminates our product to steel, and they're actually losing market share to European companies because of steel prices. And we're being approached by a company in Asia who is not subject to tariffs for steel to try to come into the market and take more share yet again. And then the third would be one where it's just a potential about one... uh, We've got a customer who's really heavy into automotive. About one-third of their volume goes into China. They have been threatened with the next round of retaliatory tariffs Mm -hmm. but they haven't been subject to yet. They have (coughs) set up all the supply chain to source this product from Korea the moment they get listed. Mm -hmm. And that business is going to go from Iowa, and it's going to go from... New Jersey, mm-hmm. like that. The minute that they've set it all up, mm-hmm. so it's hard to predict where this all mm-hmm. ends up. It sounds simple, mm-hmm. A tariff at twenty five percent. Consequences mm-hmm. are often convoluted.
1: Mm-hmm. And the way the way we've had this described before, and and as we're visiting with folks. Uh, it's it's almost like a it's like a shell game really. You maybe China is not purchasing soybeans from us, or you know, if you could use the example of steel, uh, it's not being sourced from one place now because of tariffs. So they're drawing mm-hmm. from another, and and just. It really is a shell game. Everything is shifting right now, so we do need stability. We need that predictability, you know, all the way from the end user, the farmer, the the purchaser, um, all the way to the manufacturer. So, yeah, the sooner we can seal these deals, the better off we'll be. And then it goes back to international trade. Other countries wondering if we'll be a good trade partner. That's why we just need to get these deals done, um, stabilize stabilize what we're doing here in the United States.
4: Talk about whiskey for a second. Ah, outstanding. It's all tied together, you know. Uh, bourbon's made for corn, and here we are. Uh, so, yeah, uh, most distilled spirits are made from corn. And um, before um, the distillery artist store was open, um, we Iowans were importing 100% of the $300 million worth of spirits we consume here a year. And mm. we always felt like we should be exporting uh, product like this, not importing it, um, and so um, that was the beginnings of an industry, which I think uh, is is actually off to a pretty good start. In Iowa. we started uh, in early 2018. We decided to um, initiate a three-year expansion into kind of an export program. We didn't want to, uh, you know, we wanted to, we knew it was going to be quite a learning process, a process most of you've been through, but we were just getting our feet wet lined a couple container loads up for Europe and went through the process of getting the right glass and the right packaging and the labeling and the consulting that goes with all that, the paperwork, and uh, right before they shipped, um, the steel and aluminum tariffs came in and then Europe uh, put a retaliatory uh, whiskey tariff on American whiskey, Mm -hmm. and uh, we had to cut the price by about $25,000 a container to keep the order because at that point uh, it would have been better to keep the order than to, to eliminate it with all the investment we've made. So since um, these tariffs came in, we've just been, we've been treading water. We've backed off on uh, we were going to go into China. We've backed off entirely on that. Treading water in Europe uh, just sent another container over, but we're, we're uh, uh, waiting to see if we can get this uh, behind us and get back to making some money and export some products.
1: Okay. Thanks, Jeff. Yeah, it's amazing all the different industries that are impacted, every last one of our industries.
6: Yeah. Thank you. And Senator, I, just mm-hmm. to get back off what you had mentioned earlier, you know, when I hear from you know, our membership you know in all 99 counties across the state, mm-hmm. you talk to the average farmer and they just want to compete, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they just want to be able to operate in an open market. I think everyone in here probably mm-hmm. wants to just be able to compete in an open market where – know, the best product lens and with American partners, we're always going to have the best product. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's widely understood that China's been a cheater for a long time. Um, you see that with the WTO rulings that have come down the last couple of weeks. Um, so there's there's an understanding that things need to be corrected. Um, but I think if we can just compete on an open market, mm-hmm. you know, that's why USMCA is so important. Mm-hmm. And I know that you and your staff and, um, and you all understand that, but... That it's an open market where we can compete and be successful and if we have that globally I think that's all farmers want we don't, they don't want special treatment they don't want you know uh, anything more than what is fair and honest and um, I think that's what we're all asking for here is just an open market where we have the opportunity to compete and you know I work with them everyday American farmers Iowa farmers are the best people I know and uh, I know they'll always be successful mm-hmm. so that's the message I I think we would ask you to take that. Ambassador Lighthizer is just give us a chance, you know, to go out there and compete with everyone else in the trade open market. And that's the message I think we need to be communicating with the Chinese as well. Is, um, that, that's what's fair mm-hmm. and honest, and that's all we want.
1: Right. Um, kind of the mantra we've had is trade, not aid.
6: Mm-hmm.
1: Trade, not aid. Um, the American farmer doesn't necessarily want uh, the government to provide them mm-hmm. Uh, They're living. They want to be able to grow and produce and provide that to the world. So uh, I'm very proud of being from Iowa and our stance. And I know that uh, a number of us, when we met with the president last year, that was our mantra trade, not aid. And the president even made that comment. He's like, wow, this is the first time I've had a group come in actually saying they don't want the money. You know, they don't want the government to give them the money. Um, so that does make an impact. We just have to continually reinforce that with the president, that you know, our job is to grow, uh, feed, and fuel the world. Um, so that is what our plan is. We'll keep communicating that to the president and make sure that he gets these deals done in a timely manner.
7: Senator, you and I have talked a lot about yeah. um, tariffs and taxes and more than that, and for our industry... Tax reform was a big boom. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of our companies have have realized additional capital. They are investing back into their facilities, adding new manufacturing lines, investing in R&D, hiring more people. And the the impact there, and I know the President is very proud of tax reform and the the impact Mm -hmm. that it's having on the economy. We have some member companies, in fact, we talked to one a couple of weeks ago, they realized about a million dollars in additional capital thanks to tax reform that has been wiped out as a result yeah. of the higher steel prices. Yeah. So I think if there's a message you know, on behalf of our industry, in addition to everything else that folks have said here, is that tax reform was great. It was really, it really turbocharged our, our industry. Mm-hmm. And the tariffs and the trade war is, is really risking undermining all of that. And uh, that's a great accomplishment for him. And let's let's try and, and benefit from it. Right. Uh, and i wipe away those benefits. Mm-hmm. And, and I know you've communicated that, and thank you mm-hmm. for, for doing that. It's,
1: yeah, absolutely. I appreciate that. And and you're right. Um, when I speak with the president, too, I always use a number of Iowa examples. Like I said, you know, asking for stories and impact to real Iowans. Um, that's what makes a difference. Um, I can present lots of information, black and white numbers, but it is the stories. How is this impacting um, Someone in Red Oak, Iowa, you know, what, what is it doing to that, that equipment dealer? What is it doing um, to that manufacturer? And what is it doing to that end user again? So giving specific examples on how some of the policies that are in place are not helping but actually hurting. So um, we'll continue to gather those examples um, and communicate those to the president. Absolutely. Thank you.
7: Anyone else from around the room
5: care to mm-hmm. make a statement or ask a question? Mm-hmm. Just to make a comment, I'm Dick out here, and i farm not very far from where John does down south sure. Iowa. And I've been very involved with Iowa corn and the U.S. Grains mm-hmm. Council. And the Grains Council is always looking for new markets around the world, and especially now with mm-hmm. the trade issues that are going on. If we find new markets and development, how can we guarantee if we're going to have these trade wars that we're going to be relying? On? And it kind of comes on with some of the other questions, but it's it's very important to us. Not only as farmers, but commodity.
1: Mm-hmm. No, I, and I think that's a very valid point. And what what is being developed right now? And I've had similar discussions with Robert Leidheiser, Bob Leidheiser, about that, um, because they are working on a number of other deals around the country as well. We tend to fo- or around the world. Uh, we tend to focus very heavily on USMCA and China because those are the ones that impact us the most. But continually developing new markets is important for all of us. As we become better at our jobs, whether it's equipment manufacturing or, you know, higher yields every year um, from the farm, we've got to have somewhere for that to go. Um, We can't consume it all here in the United States. Uh, There are growing markets out there. Uh, A lot of countries now that are becoming wealthier and they need additional uh, lean sources of protein or lean protein. And so we have opportunity out there. So what this administration is trying to do is develop those markets and I would say just at least rest assured if it's this administration that's developing, uh, those trade agreements, then they will agree with those trade agreements. What can happen in the future is if there are d- different administrations that want to change agreements as, as they sunset, uh, they will probably do so. But what we want to do is develop those, those markets right now, make sure that they benefit the countries that are involved in those trade agreements. Um, and just stay on that path. Um, I do have concerns about uh, where we might stand with other people around the globe. Uh, as we're going through some of these negotiations, they may be concerned. We may be next. Um, if they're good, solid agreements and they're good trade partners, then we shouldn't have those worries. Um, you know, NAFTA, I think, benefited the American farmer. I think it was a good deal for the American farmer. Hopefully what we come out with in the USMCA is an even better boon for the American farmer. Uh, but, you know, just understand as Congress, we'll try and do our part as well to be good communicators with those other countries as, as we work on developing additional trade agreements. We'll do the absolute darn best we can. Thank you.
5: Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Senator Ernst, I mm-hmm. uh, think a lot of expectations were raised when Governor mm-hmm. Branstead was appointed mm-hmm. to be the ambassador, mm-hmm. and I wonder if you know uh, what advice he may be giving to the President, or is the President seeking his advice Uh And how
1: is he helping them? You bet. And I will tell you, because I I do get asked that quite a bit about um, our former Governor Terry Branstad, and now that he's Ambassador to China. And what I can tell you is that we would not be nearly as far along with China as we are right now if we did not have Ambassador Branstad in that position. Um, He is involved in making sure that the communications are flowing and he can be an honest broker, you know, from this administration to President Xi, where others may have felt uncomfortable about visiting with President Xi about certain issues and, and President Xi's administration, because Ambassador Branstad knows a number of them, especially those that serve in the Department of Agriculture. You know, he feels like he can stand up and say, no, this is what our administration wants, this is what we're going to accept, and, and be that honest broker. So I'm thankful uh, that we have Ambassador Branstad there. He's been very, very helpful. Um, And I had mentioned this to uh, then-Governor Branstad when he was being appointed into that position. I said, I just know there's a, a time and a place and a reason behind everything. And I said, you know, I know that you're the right person at the right time. And truly, he has been a blessing. Uh, especially as we move through these trade talks. And, of course, there are so many other issues he's involved in, whether it's national security or so forth. But I think we are very blessed as a nation to have Governor Branstad serving as as the ambassador to China.
5: As as an example of uh, what can happen, Uh, I go back to one of the first farms that I bought, the one that I live on, and I gave roughly three thousand thirty-two hundred dollars an acre for roughly 160 acres. Some uh, five to seven years later I bought an identical type of ground, but rolling hills right here east of the plant mm-hmm. and I gave under $900 an acre for it. Oh. So you mm-hmm. see it dropped way below a third in those four or five years. Mm-hmm. If we don't get this thing turned around, I predict there's going to be a lot of farms and a lot of things change hands in the very near future. Yeah,
1: That is quite possible. That's quite possible. Mm-hmm.
4: Senator, may I ask, mm-hmm. we know right now more than ever, it's going to take a huge bipartisan effort. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about sort of the role that you're playing there and also what we in the room can do to help bring
7: others to the table to make this happen?
1: Mm-hmm. I think, Well, and thank you. I think it's really important because this will be a bipartisan effort. Um, but you will see there are many supporters in the, in the United States Senate for the USMCA. And I think that's very positive that when it comes to trade, there are quite a few of us that actually can find a way to get along, come together, and collaborate on issues like this. So this is uh, one of those rare bright spots, I think, that we see as a nation when we seem to be so divided that we actually can come together and and work on an issue like this because it benefits our entire population. So that is really important. What I would ask of you is that... um, I think you will find great support with the Iowa delegation, but we need you to reach out uh, continually and make sure that that you are talking to every member of our delegation and ensuring that they will be supporting the USMCA. Uh, that's that's really important. I know that you'll have Senator Grassley's support, my support, on the USMCA. Um, I don't want to speak for the, the folks in the House, um, but I... I hope they see the benefit to Iowa and the USMCA as a, as a whole across the mm-hmm. United States. Uh, so please be reaching out to them. And uh, if you are affiliated with uh, folks in other states as well, um, like with our uh, soybean association and so forth, make sure you're encouraging all of those other folks to reach out to their members as well. So, it's important that everybody is communicating that we need to get this done. We need to get it done in a timely manner. Very, very important. Um, We don't want anyone in our Congress to think this is something that, uh, you know, we can wait on this. Okay, we can't wait on this. So, the minute the the clock starts uh, ticking, you know, we have that time frame to work with. We need to act within that time frame uh, and get the deal done. So... Please communicate with, with members that might be in other states or if you know of constituents in those other states that are willing to reach out uh, on behalf of this trade agreement. I think it's smart to do that. Um, and again, I would ask also that the individual stories that you might collect, um, please share those with me. Share them with my staff because that is such an important part of what I share with the administration. You know, it it truly is storytelling. Um, But it's also important that I'm able to share those examples with other senators that may not be from states like Iowa. You know, um, I, I make no bones about it. Like Kirsten Gillibrand is a very good friend of mine in the United States Senate. She and I have very, very different political views, but she is a good friend. So, when I can go to another senator, and she's from New York, so it's, it's a very different state than Iowa, when I can go to Senator Gillibrand and say, you know, this is an Iowa family, and this is how they're being impacted by the tariffs, or this is how they're being impacted um, by not having the USMCA done, then she can get it. She she understands the impact to a family or maybe an individual. Um, that's why those stories are so important because our uh, our states are so diverse in our economies and our populations. And if we can share stories about individuals, families, employers, that's what really has meaning to so many of us. It's not just the like I said the black and white numbers. It's it's the actual faces and people behind those numbers that make the difference so that's what i would ask do you think the president's beyond threatening to withdraw from us mca or withdraw from nafta because that just makes us shudder back uh, here right. in the island yeah um i can i can't speak for what the president might or might not do i think that's pretty <laughs> pretty obvious at this point um but uh he has a that style of, well, if you call it a style, of negotiating, uh, where he does toss out probably the worst possible scenario. Uh, but what you do see is he does get results from that. Um, there are a lot, I think, significant progress, too, made with the Chinese Um, because he knows when they're in a bad situation. And China is in a bad situation right now with the African swine fever and um, some of the shortages that they see in their own economy. So he knows when to make the right threat at the right time, and then they kind of belly up to the table and are willing to give a little bit more. Um, So I I can't speak for him, but I I think he's in it for the long run. I think he does want to see this as... Uh, a significant achievement within his administration. So, I, so many of us want to see the deal done, and I, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, Delaney, I'm sorry you missed that roundtable. It was very, very interesting, and uh, it was good to hear from the senator. I think, especially her talk about um, the perception in D.C. of President Trump's negotiation tactics. I thought that was fascinating.
0: Yeah. Absolutely, we just heard some great stuff about that today too. And here, in, here in Texas, got a kind of a what's going on in D.C. from a lobbyist there. So yeah, just fascinating stuff.
2: Well, if our listeners want to catch up on any other fascinating information by listening to our past episodes, Delaney, where should they go?
0: Absolutely, they can head to globalagnetwork.com/agnewsdaily to listen to any of our past episodes. Or we're always sharing and posting interesting information on our Twitter and Facebook. Handles at Ag News Daily. Mike, with that, shall we let the people go?
2: Let's let them go.